Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 27 through 30. Uh, we are uh, uh, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And part of the Sermon on the Mount uh, is a moment where Jesus kind of talks about the law. He says, hey, I'm not here uh, to destroy or abolish the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. And then he gives six, in- six instances or six examples where he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, uh, showing that, that not is it wrong, but it's being misapplied. And he's going to teach us through these six examples how oftentimes we misinterpret and misapply God's law. And so this morning is the second of those which talks about adultery of the heart. Adultery of the heart. Starting with verse 27, it says this. You have heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Let's pray one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, God, this is your word. This is a difficult word. And God, I just pray that you would help us to apply it to our hearts this morning and help us, God, to guard our hearts. Help us to be warriors that are fighting against sin in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, what I want us to do is uh, first look at kind of what these scriptures tell us about the nature of sin in general. And then we'll take a few moments to zero in on this sin of adultery of the heart. And then we'll back back up and look at how this verse tells us to fight against sin in our life. First is, what is the nature of sin? What does this teach us about the nature of sin? The first thing it teaches us is that sin is rooted deep within us. It is not just the outward act. It is what is going on in our heart that leads up to that outward act. I know uh, we touched on this last week. But if Jesus keeps going there, we're going to go there as well. The main problem that we have is not sins, it is sin. As R.C. Sproul likes to say, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We, we like to think that the problem is, is with sin is that it's out there, right? That it's, that it's out there, that it is a threat to us. And, and that sin will come and it will corrupt our good-natured hearts that, that so don't want to sin, right? And that's backwards. The reality is, is that we have sinful hearts that is just looking for opportunities outside of ourselves to sin, to disobey God. Lloyd, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the medical doctor turned preacher, said it as only probably he could say it, Uh, As a former medical doctor, he said, it is not the symptoms that finally count, but the disease. 
Sins are the symptoms. Sin, sin is the disease that we all have. If we learn anything about from last week and this week is that it should be this, is that we are all lawbreakers. We are lawbreakers because we are infected with the disease of sin. If you do not do something about the disease of sin, your destination is hell. That's the, what verse 30 says, is that, is that if you don't fight against sin, your, the disease of sin, your dis- destination is to be thrown into the fire. And the disease of our, our heart, the disease of sin in our heart, it can't be done by being good enough. Who in here would say they never, ever have a lustful thought? Whether it's sexual, whether it's just lusting after something that someone else has. How many can say we never do that? It's not, it's not in our... We, we can't keep God's law. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us here. And so he says you have to do something about the disease of sin in your life. And that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. That's the only cure for the disease of sin that threatens to send us to hell. Now after, after Christ gives us a new heart, we come back to the law and we seek to obey it, but we, we are not saved by obeying the law. We are saved because Christ obeyed the law for us. And so we see that, that sin is rooted deep within us. We see that sin perverts what is good. Sin takes what, takes what is God's good gift given to husbands and wives in a covenant relationship meant to bring a lifetime of joy and satisfaction and it makes it into a soul-destroying sin. I mean, Satan is such a counterfeiter. Satan has trouble finding of, of his own stuff and so what he does is he takes what God has made good and what God has given us as gifts and then he twists them and he corrupts them into something that is terrible. Romans 6.13 says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And so what sin does is that it takes these eyes that were meant to behold the beauty of our spouse, that were meant to to watch our children grow. There was, we're meant to, in a few weeks, as we begin to watch the leaves turn and, and the beauty of this world and taking it all in, in the worship of the Creator, it takes that great gift and it turns it into something that we use for sin, that we use to go against God and, and use to steal our worship of God as we disobey Him. It takes the, the hands that, that God has given us to serve, that God has given us to love people. And it turns it into instruments that go against God and, and still worship of Him and causes us to not love people and the actions that we take. It perverts what is so good and it makes it where we would be better off without those things. 
How sad is that, that we would allow sin, allow Satan to corrupt what is good. And sin often comes to us in a subtle way. Long before the physical act of adultery, there are usually a hundred instances of subtle sins of lust. Walking by his or her desk on, on purpose just to see what they're wearing that day. An extra unnecessary line in a work email that's just a little, not big time, but maybe just a little flirtatious. Thinking about what that, that coworker will think about what you're wearing as you get ready for work. Rarely does a sin like the physical act of adultery just suddenly out of nowhere happen. It begins in the mind with fantasy and in the heart with forbidden affection. That if not checked, it will come to the physical act. And we need to understand here that, that it says that, Jesus is not saying that, that what happens in the heart of the mind is full-fledged, absolute adultery like the physical act would be. So we have to be careful because we'll, we're so sinful that we'll say, well, man, if I've already thought about it, if that's adultery, then let me just go ahead and do it. I'm already an adulterer. And that's not what this verse is trying to say. What it's saying is, is before the, the physical act of adultery has happened, adultery of the heart is already going on, a form of adultery. Jesus teaches here that, that the fantasies in your mind and the affection in your heart is already sinful adultery. You know, some would say, I flirt a little, but it's not going to go anywhere or, I may kind of think about some things in my mind, but it's never going to go there. It's already adulterous. It's at least adultery of the heart. It's not enough just to say, I didn't do it. And pat ourselves on the back and be done. Hey, I didn't do it. We must also ask ourselves, why did I want to do it? And how can I not want to do it again? Yeah, I escaped the physical act of that sin, but why did I for a moment entertain that in my heart and in my mind? And that is where the victory over both heart sin and outward sin is won, is when we begin to ask ourselves those kind of questions. Why am I so wrapped up in this other person's affections when I have a spouse at home, what's, what's going on with me and my spouse? Is there a distance here that's making me entertain these thoughts that, man, I need to go home and I need to fix this and I need to, need to begin to, to, to be more loving towards my spouse and talk to them more and connect with them more? Is that the problem here? Why am I feeling that my spouse is not enough? Am I feeding myself with images on the internet? Am I reading romance novels that, that, that breed discontent in my marriage? Am I feeding this? Is that why I'm beginning to entertain these adulterous thoughts? Where is my relationship with God at that I could entertain in my mind and in my heart a desire of something that goes absolutely against Him that is something that he hates. Like, where is my walk with Christ? Maybe I need to look at that. 
And that is what the law is meant to do. It's meant for us to look at our hearts, for us to run to Christ. Don't just pat yourself on the back saying, I didn't do it. Ask yourselves, why did I want to do it? What's in my heart that needs to change? And next, we want to see how does adultery of the heart destroy? Let's look specifically at this, this sin of heart adultery. Do you want to know what I probably worry about more than anything else as I pastor, as I counsel people with biblical counseling, as I father kids, one of the biggest fears I have is what is happening when it comes to heart adultery with the technology that we have today. I love technology. I'm a technology geek. I love it. And so much good is coming out of it, but we cannot deny that there are great things of evil that are coming as well. Satan has seized upon technology to put lustful fantasy at our fingertips. In the day that Jesus spoke these words of the dangers of heart adultery, he was speaking to a very modest society. He was speaking to Jews. You know, we talk about burqas a lot in our society because of the Muslims, and that's how they dress, and, and they're very modest, and they cover everything up. Well, that's, how, that's the kind of people that, uh, I mean, in, in Jesus' day, that was the culture of the Jews, of, of covering everything up. Now, in, in that day, you had the Greco-Romans that were walking around in Jesus' day, and they were a little more immodest. Sometimes they didn't wear head coverings. That's how immodest they were. They went outside without covering their head. And Jesus is saying, look, there is heart adultery out there, and you are going to be tempted by heart adultery, and it is so evil that it will threaten to send you to hell. And in our culture, you cannot sell a bar of soap without lustful images. We could pull out our phones from our pocket and find any image our depraved minds might want to see. Never in the history of the world has the means for the adultery of the heart been so readily accessible and it is only going to get worse. There are things coming down the pike as far as that goes that scare me. And I fear how that may be damaging us as a people, but especially as men. I feel how, I fear how adultery of the heart is going to rob the church of, of great leaders, of men that would be otherwise rising up as leaders of their families and of their church, but instead their growth is stunted because they can't stop looking at images. I fear the marriages that is, it is right now in this room, and you can think about it, you know in your heart that this is true, that it is slowly destroying your marriage. As a father of 
three daughters and a boy, I, I fear of them finding spouses that have been uncorrupted by the readily adulteries of the heart that are available in our society. Listen to me, it is not, it is not matter if you are not going out and physically committing an act of adultery. If you entertain fantasies in the mind, you are being unfaithful to your spouse. And even more important than that, you are being unfaithful to your God. That goes for images on the internet, images conjured up by romance novels, or images you conjure up deep in your mind. If all your phone, if your phone was taken away tomorrow and you were locked in a room, you could still not escape the images that you could conjure up. It is not harmless, it is, it is laying waste to so many lives. Adultery of the mind and the heart will destroy your marriage. It will destroy it. It will breed discontentment for your spouse. It will make you feel so guilty you can't look at them. It will cause you to just shut down. Adultery of the mind and heart will destroy your walk with God. You cannot be someone wrapped up in heart adultery of looking at images you shouldn't look at and be right, be, be close to God. Adultery of the mind and heart will destroy your mission. Now you won't even be able to look at, at, at the opposite sex in society without thinking of them as a body instead of a soul that is going to hell. And you will never, ever feel like you deserve to share the gospel when you are wrapped up with that kind of sin. If you are engaging in heart adultery on any level, if it's, man, if it's just every once in a while, it, it comes back into your life. Or if it's an addiction that you have, that, a, 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 a point of idolatry in your life. Run, don't walk away from it. Do everything you can to totally rid your life of it. God can and will bring restoration to your marriage. Your relationship with Him will be, will be brought closer. And He can and will unravel your twisted mind if it has been twisted by such things. So how do we fight sin? How do we fight sin? Let's look at the Last couple of verses again. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So what in the world is going on here? If, if, your body, if you have a body part that causes you to sin, should you just lop it off? Is that what Jesus is saying? There have been those in Christian history, early Christian history, who thought that they would, by, by lopping off their right hand, they were being obedient to the Sermon on the Mount. By plugging out their right hand, they were being obedient to the Sermon on the Mount. What 
The problem that they found was they still had a left eye. They still had a left hand. And we know that, that even, even long after maybe those extreme days, there went on to be, uh, be monks, ascetic monks, who man, would sleep on rocks and, and, and just do all kinds of things to themselves to, to think that, hey, if I just abuse myself enough, I'll drive sin out of my body. But what they found is... It never was enough. It never was effective. Listen, we could lop off all of our limbs, pluck out our eyes, cut out our tongue, but as long as there's a brain working in our head, there will be sin. Colossians 2, 20-23 talks about the failure of such means. If, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So we have there in Colossians a, a testimony that you can do, you can be as hard as you want to on the body, but it has no power, no, no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So how do we fight sin from these verses? Well, first, by realizing the importance of the soul and its destiny. There is a basic concept contained here that we should give more thought to eternity than we do the here and the now. It's better to be crippled here and whole in heaven than to be whole here and crippled in hell. Though we are not being called to literally poke out our eye and cut off our arm, we are certainly being called to the task of fighting sin. And that is not easy in our fallen world. Be a Christian, and yes, you will be called to not do some things that you really want to do. Be a Christian, and yes, you will be called to do some things that you don't want to do. You're Life is not your own. But as Christ said, there is nothing that we give up in this life that we don't receive back a hundredfold, both in this life and in the life to come. So the point here is, man, it is better to do without. It is better to control your desires on this earth and to have all of, all of uh, eternity to enjoy God in heaven than it is to indulge yourself constantly on this earth for a few years and then to suffer the consequences of eternity in hell. So we must, must realize that when we're fighting sin, we're fighting a battle that the most of the reward will come in the next life as we are with God. 
And yes, we at times will have to do things in this life that are hard, but it'll all be worth it. We fight sin by remembering God's wrath. To fight sin, we really need to stop and dwell on God's wrath. Right here it speaks in such a way that says if we will not fight against sin, then our destination will be to be thrown into hell. Well, I'm saved. I don't have to worry about that lake of fire stuff anymore, Brother Adam. This is not really a threat to me anymore. But if you read the apostles, men that knew the gospel and were very, very confident in the gospel, you still see men that feared a moment where they might would show themselves to be counterfeit. Okay? So let me be clear. All who are justified in Christ will remain justified in Christ. With that being said, there is not a temptation that you face that does not have the potential to turn into an unrepentant sin that exposes that you were never justified by Christ's blood to begin with. Be very, very careful in just casting aside any thought to the wrath of God because you're saved. That's not how the apostles worked and that's not how we work. We, we live with a, a sincere fear that any temptation could lead us down a path that would reveal that we've never been on the straight and narrow, that we've always been on the broad path. So careful. Dwell upon the fact as you are tempted that this could be what exposes me. But if I fight it, if I fight against it, if I resist it, then what does that expose? That exposes Christ in my life. That exposes that I do know Him. But don't just meditate on God's wrath when fighting sin. Remember God's goodness. Spending a little bit of time thinking about God's goodness will go a long way in killing your appetite to disobey Him. Ephesians 5, 3-4 says this, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. Now, there's a couple of words that we could easily gloss over in these verses that are primarily concerned with sexual immorality. And the first verse is greed. And the reality is, is that all sins, especially sexual sins, stem from greed. What God has given me is not enough. God's gift of sex and marriage is not enough. So I feel like I need to step outside of the lines, go to the internet or go to some coworker, and step out of the bounds that God has arranged for my life. I need more instead of investing in, in what Christ has given you at home. 
And then it closes, it closes with, but rather, rather than all this sexual lust and, and obscene talk of sex, but rather thanksgiving, thanksgiving. To fight sin, we must turn our eyes on, on what God has done for us, His goodness, His graciousness to us, and that man, He's given us, what He's given us in life and the spouse He's given us. Or even if, if, if you don't have a spouse and, and, and you long for that, what He's going to be for you until that time. To just meditate on on what God has given you and been so gracious. So the more you think about what He's done for you, the more you think, how can I, how can I step out of bounds of this great God who's been so good to me? Matthew Henry once wrote, the joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. That if we would meditate more on God's joy and the things He's given to us, we would just lose attraction to so much of the sin that plagues us. Dwell upon both the wrath of God and the goodness of God and watch your heart, soul, and mind be able to stand strong against the strongest of temptations. Try it. Try what I'm saying. The next time that old familiar longing for that old familiar sin comes back, think for a mo- take a minute or two and just think about God's wrath. Think about how much He hates sin. Just think about, think about how, where this sin could lead you. And think about how good He's been to you. How He's graciously saved you if you're a Christian. And see if that temptation doesn't begin to melt away. And lastly, we see from these verses that we proactively kill it. We need to be proactively killing it. While we don't come to the conclusion that we should start hacking off our body parts, the truth is certainly here of what Jesus wants to tell us is go to the extreme to kill sin. Well, you know, I I really have problems looking up lustful images on my smartphone. But I don't know what to do about it. How about you get a dumb phone for a while? For a season at least. Until you come to grips with the sin that keeps coming into your life. Well, I have a problem staying up late and flipping through the premium channels of my cable. And I don't know what to do about it. How about call and cancel those channels? Go to bed with your spouse. Don't stay up late. Well, I have so much trouble getting on Facebook. I I just ignore my kids so much. Take Facebook off your phone for a while. I wouldn't dare tell you to remove it from your life for all of eternity because there would be a revolt. But take take it out for a while until you get, get that that, those priorities, right. Throw your phone in your in the evenings. If you can't talk to your spouse, throw the phone in the cabinet for a while. You know, I, gotta, I get in trouble a lot of times when I'm up late browsing on my computer. Well, put some software on there that will guard you. 
Or again, better yet, don't be on the computer late at night. We've, we've talked today about, and last week about, making sure we address the heart of our sin, but don't forget about what's out there that you can address. There are things on the outside as well. Do whatever you can in the way that you live to minimize temptations in your life. To cut off access to certain sins, it tends to restrain sin. When you kind of work on the outside and just figure out what times does that sin occur and and what tools am I using for that sin and, and if I can just kind of get rid of those things for a while, then I can kind of bind the sin. And while that sin's bound, then I can put to death that sin in my heart. And that's when I really kill the sin that's restrained. That's why sometimes people with, with chemical addictions need to go away for a while and, and restrain the, the temptation so that they can work on their heart and so that they can finally put those things to rest. We must engage, we must be engaged in the act of violently destroying sin. John Owen's famous quote is this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There is no neutral ground in sin. We are at war with sin and either we're fighting sin or sin's kicking our tail. There's no middle ground until our glorification. Paul says this in Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You've got to kill. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. When Jesus says, pluck out your eye and cut off your hand, so, so often he says that, but so often we amount to such we mount such feeble attacks at the dragons of sin that threaten our life. Let's get violent against sin. Let's, let's fight dirty against the sin that so threatens to, to kill our families and kill our church and kill our country and kill our world. Sin wants to take down everything that you hold dear. Why make friends with that? Why take that lightly? Lay a sword to its neck. That's the main point. Is, is violently oppose sin. So in conclusion, again, I want to say what this verse, what Jesus is exposition on this law and the one from last week, what it tells us all is that we are lawbreakers. We're all lawbreakers. Like last week, I asked you, how many of you could say you've never had anger in your heart? How many of you could say that? How many could say that, that you've never said anything bad about someone else? Jesus' point is, that you're a lawbreaker. And now this week, how many of us can say we've never had a lustful thought? We've never wanted something that God said we couldn't have. We're all lawbreakers. 
And that's why we all desperately need Jesus. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you, you have the sin, the, the, the disease of sin in your life. And until you make that right, until you come to Christ and put your faith on Him and quit trying to be good enough, because you'll never be good enough because you're a lawbreaker, turn to Jesus Christ. And He will cleanse you of all of that disobedience. And then He will begin to help you grow in your obedience to the law. Do you know your enemy's sin well? Do you know the nature of sin? Do you spend time thinking about how sin is suddenly moving into your world and how to put an end to it? Where's your heart when it comes to heart adultery? I know in our church there's, this is an issue. But there are those of you who are using technology to fulfill your lust. Some of you are reading books to fulfill your lust. Some of you are just entertaining fantasies in your mind to fill your lust. Do something about it this morning. Begin. Pull out a sword and begin to hack away at the root of sin in your life and then and begin to restrain the outward stuff that's causing it and then get to work on your heart and, and asking the Spirit and God to, to help you. Are you violently fighting against sin? Are you just kind of like, well, you know, Whatever. I don't really know what to do about this. Well, find out. Figure out what to do about it and go to work. It's what God's called us to. He, he told us to pluck out our eye and cut off our hand to show us that we need to be extreme. Are you extreme? Would you say you're extreme in fighting sin in your life? Jesus wants us to be extreme. As our musicians come, I'm going to ask you to please stand. We're going to have a word of prayer. Hey, if you are, if you know that you have the disease of sin, if you've never done anything about it, I'm going to be right here and I would love to talk to you about, about Christ and putting your faith in Christ and, and dealing with the disease of sin in your life. The rest of us, the, the others, are dealing with all kinds of temptation and things going on in your mind and heart that no one here has any idea about that you need to do with God business that you need to take care of. I, I commend you to respond to his word this morning, however he's spoken to you. Dear Heavenly Father, God, uh, God, help us. God, we so often are so passive when it comes to sin. God, help us to become aggressive. Help us to, to kill sin so that it does not kill us. God, move in this place with, with everyone. God, Everyone here has, has struggled. Where sin is, is they're too friendly to sin. God, I pray that you would help them to begin to lay waste to that sin, to destroy that sin. God, move in our hearts. God, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, God, please, God, call them to yourself this morning before it's too late. In Jesus' name I pray.